0: You're listening to the LMCC Podcast, a ministry of La Mirada Christian Church in La Mirada, California. Here's Pastor Joe Barsha with this week's message. We are on uh, week five of our six-week True Meaning series, where we've looked at passages that have been, most times with the purest of motives, taken out of context to fit our narrative, And uh, this week's passage is extra special, because not only has it been famously taken out of context, but a non-biblical Christianese phrase has come of it, all right? And again, with the purest of motives, but the bottom line is, it's just not what Paul, the author of the passage in question, was trying to say to his audience. So quiz time, you've already heard it it a couple times, so now you're cheating, but quiz time. I'm going to read today's passage, and I'm going to see if you know. What famous Christianese phrase has come from this verse? We're going to put 1 Corinthians 10.13 on the screen. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Alright, so what Christianese phrase has come from this Verse. Exactly. God won't give you more than you can handle. A well-intentioned phrase, truly. But not only is it simply not true, that phrase is talking about suffering, while this passage here is talking about temptation. And not just any temptation, but one very specific kind. So what temptation do you ask? What specific one? Well, the answer to that is found in the answer to another question that I've been asking you now for a couple of weeks. What's the number one rule of studying Scripture? Context, context, context. Exactly. That was loud and awesome. Good work, everyone. I'm proud of you. Context, context, context. Last week, sorry, I've been fighting poll for years now. Last week, I mentioned that Paul, the author of last week's and this week's True Meaning Verse, was extremely what-minded. What was Paul extremely always thinking about? Always thinking about heaven. Always. He talked about the next life in his writings more than most anything else. Well, surprise, surprise. Guess the context behind this passage. Heaven. No, go back one. That same one. It's still heaven. And and the context of today's passage starts with the end of of the previous chapter. Now we go, I'm sorry, don't I trick you there, that's my fault. Uh, Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know, in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. All right, the recipients of this letter, the Corinthians, lived in the city of Corinth. And every other year, Corinth, the city, held an athletic competition called the Isthmian Games. And in its heyday was just as prestigious and as awesome and as crazy as the ancient Olympic Games. Same level in which the Olympic Games are still played to this day. Nowadays, when Olympic athletes win, what do they receive around their necks? They get a gold medal, right? They get a gold, silver, or bronze medal. Well, back then, the winners of the Isthmian Games, the winners back then literally received a crown. That was the prize. That was their medal back then. And so Paul is comparing here. The runners are Christ followers. The strict training and the race itself is a godly life. And the crown, Paul's favorite subject? Heaven. heaven. The crown is heaven. Now, the city of Corinth was a hub for Olympic caliber competition, as well as pagan worship. Gigantic temples, beautiful, ornate, were b- built for the worship and sacrifice to false gods were everywhere. They were all over the town, all over the area, which is why missionary Paul came to Corinth. He came in. He preached the good news. And many, many, many Corinthians dropped their old ways of idol worship and sacrifice for Christianity. Now, while the hearts of those converted Corinthians completely changed, the city itself did not. Sure, Christian churches were popping up here and there, but what was still very much in the town of Corinth All those temples of idolatrous worship, they did not go away. So now, these newly converted Corinthians are being pulled in two directions. One way, run the race in such a way to receive a crown that will last forever. And the other way, fall back into the very specific temptation Paul is talking about, which is this, abandoning the Christian faith in order to fall back into old and comfortable and familiar ways. That's the temptation Paul is talking about here specifically. Abandoning the Christian faith to fall back into old and comfortable and familiar ways. And in Corinth, the temptation to do so was very, very strong. These recently converted Corinthians were straight up threatened to be cut off from society and considered outcasts in their own town where they've always lived. If they continued to refuse to join their pagan worshiping peers in their old ways, they're being outcasted in their own town because they kept saying no to the invitation to go back. Now, not only was the temptation to leave the faith very strong, it was even convincing. And Paul gives them a history lesson about just that in the very next chapter. Now, we're not going to read through the whole thing because it's long, but I'm going to explain it with some context. And so right after this passage, which we'll keep on the screen, Paul goes into a history lesson about convincing temptation to leave the faith. And he talks about the Israelites and when they were slaves in Egypt. Now, when the, slaves, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, what did God do? You all know the story. He sent in Moses to rescue them, right? Moses went in, saved them, and set them free. And after being rescued, these Israelites worshipped God. Once trapped in misery... They were now free, God-fearing, law-following, holy and spiritual people. Just like who? These Corinthians. You see, the Corinthians are in a similar situation. Once they were trapped in the misery of idol worship. But Paul, like Moses, came in and saved them. Setting them free to worship the one true God. But once saved, the temptation to fall back into old ways is not only strong. But it's also convincing. Because after Egypt and the wilderness, when things became really, really difficult and miserable, you can read the, actual, the Israelites actually missed slavery. They actually missed the idol worship and old life that Pharaoh offered them. Which caused them to think, hold on. We're God-fearing people now. Would it really hurt? I mean, would it really hurt? If we dabbled in our old lives just a little, if we abandoned our posts as God-fearing people for just a while and reminisced on old times to get us through this miserable wilderness, would it be that bad? You probably know the rest of the story. One golden calf later and a little bit of apostasizing. What happens? The convincing temptation to dabble in their old lives because of that, how many, how many, of the entire nation of Israel that God rescued from Egypt actually made it out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Anyone know how many? Two. Joshua and Caleb. You all are smart. That's exactly right. Two. Tens of thousands more came out of Egypt into the wilderness. Two made it into the promised land. Paul shares this history lesson with the Corinthians to warn them. To warn them that the temptation to abandon the faith and its consequences are real. And he explains that in the two verses leading up to this morning's passage. Next slide. These things happened to them, the Israelites, as examples. And were written down as warnings for us. On whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul's warning the Corinthians. Paul's telling them that they're headed down a similar path as the Israelites. He's saying, you think you're standing firm in your new faith, so dabbling back in the old times with with the old temples for just a little bit will be fine, but in actuality it's not. It's not. But then, Paul, like Jesus, always about restoration, goes from a grim warning to beautiful reassurance by saying this. By saying, as serious as this warning is, as serious as it is, there's an overwhelmingly stronger promise that God gives us. Which is what? This morning's passage. Next slide. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let's leave it right there. Paul is saying this in context. He's saying, no temptation to abandon the faith has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted to abandon the faith beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted to do so, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it and continue to run the race in such a way to receive the crown. That's what this passage is saying in context. However, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Got another question for you. New Testament written in what language originally? Exactly. That phrase highlighted in yellow, a way out, is actually just one word in Greek. And it's pronounced Ekbalo. And get this, it's the same exact word Jesus used in a hyperbolically graphic verse, which also talks about temptation in Mark 9, 47. Let's compare on the next slide. Up top, you see today's verse, right? Highlighted, a way out, Ekbalo. And beneath it, below, is a verse about temptation where Jesus uses the exact same word, Ekbalo. And he says... And if your eye causes you to stumble, ekbala, pluck it out, a way out, get rid of it, escape it. It's the same exact word. Now, Jesus isn't telling anyone who struggles with lust to literally pluck their eye out. Because think about it. The eye isn't even the root of the problem of lust. It's the heart. All right. But what Jesus is saying is this. Do whatever it takes to stop even if it's the hardest and most painful thing you ever had to do. And by using the same exact word, ekbalo, Paul is saying, no matter how strong or convincing the temptation to abandon the faith is, God promises you what you need in order to endure it, even if it's the hardest and most painful thing you ever had to do. Paul is saying, no matter how difficult life can be, No matter how big the obstacles or how heavy the burdens, no matter how loud life is yelling, God isn't enough, so why don't you quit? No matter what, God promises you what you need in order to endure it. Even if the enduring is the most difficult and painful thing you ever had to do. That's what this passage is saying. Now as difficult and as painful as it may be, we can be reassured that Jesus gave us the perfect example by having gone through this kind of temptation himself three times. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It is awesome. Next slide, Matthew 4:1. "Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil." This is a loaded verse. All right? A lot. So let's go, let's go through it really quick. First, in Paul's history lesson to the Corinthians, where were the Israelites tempted to abandon their faith? Let's just avoid the wilderness, guys. <laughs> it's a bad place, apparently. Right? First of all. Secondly, it's not just some demon tempting Jesus, but who? The devil. He's pulling all the stops here. Right? And third, the Holy Spirit led Jesus there not to be tempted to help him grow in his faith or anything. No. He was led to go there and endured this temptation, the worst kind, the temptation to abandon his face three times. The reason he was there is so that he can identify with us so that he can follow through with Paul's promise that God will always give us what we need to endure a similar kind of temptation. Let's look at the actual temptations. Matthew four, two and three. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. The tempter, the devil, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, you may be thinking, Joe, you just went on and on and on about how the devil is tempting Jesus to abandon his faith. But here, he's just tempting Jesus with a snap. Now, yes, yes, Jesus, Satan is taking advantage of Jesus' extreme hunger. I mean, 40 days, right? You can tempt me with a snack after 40 minutes. I mean, seriously. All right? But it's much, much, much deeper than that. I'm going to ask you again. New Testament written in what language originally? Greek. Greek. That word if, highlighted in Greek, is actually the word since. Since you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see, Satan is appealing to, to the fact that Jesus is the son of God and most definitely has the power to perform this miracle. But who did Jesus come to earth to serve? Who while on earth was he to use his supernatural power for? Was it for himself? No. Could he actually use his power To fulfill a personal desire, and then later get up in front of people and tell them to always put others first. Could he do that? That's hypocrisy. Satan is tempting Jesus to prove his sonship by catering to himself, and yet this would have been the surest way to prove that he was not the Son of God. Satan is really trying to trick him here. Jesus' mission would have been a sham if he was using his supernatural heaven-sent power and ability to listen and agree with Satan in order to prove his sonship and then serve himself. This most definitely was a temptation to abandon his God-given mission. And so what does Jesus say to this? No way. Next slide. Verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says no. God gave Jesus a way to endure the temptation. And what way was that? Through his word. Who does the Bible belong to? Who wrote it ultimately? God. And he gave it to Jesus to use here. Through scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3. But Satan is not done yet. He dials it up a notch, of course. Next slide, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, which actually is, good job, Greek people, since you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, so much going on here. First of all, Satan responds, Satan, Jesus responds and endures the first temptation using what? Scripture. And what does Satan respond with here? Scripture. Clearly it's out of context. Satan needs to attend our true meaning series, right? Out of context. But he uses scripture nonetheless. And get this. It's not like Satan needed to pull out his scroll or the Bible Gateway app on his iPhone 11 to quote the scripture. What did he just do here? He had it memorized. In an age where scripture is available at our fingertips within seconds, we cannot forget the importance of memorization when it comes to the word of God. Because our greatest enemy has already done it. Secondly here, a little context. The highest point of the temple is not only the highest point in all of Jerusalem at 200 feet tall. It's also the most crowded part of Jerusalem. Which is why jumping off a 200 foot tall building is actually tempting for someone like Jesus. Satan took Psalm 91 out of context to say this. Go ahead, Jesus. Go ahead. If you jump off, the Bible promises That angels will catch you. And it will be an awesome way to show off to all of Jerusalem. Back in junior high, uh, my best friend at the time, named Oscar, was turning 13 years old. And Oscar had an awesome backyard with a pool. And so he wanted to have a pool party to celebrate his birthday. Now, his party was scheduled for a Saturday, but his actual birthday was on a Friday, the day before. And so being his best friend, I went to his house after junior high school that day to celebrate his real birthday and spend the night. And then we would welcome everyone as they show up for the party the next day, right? So what did Oscar and I in junior high do that Friday afternoon and all night? Now, most of you who know me well enough at all would say, You probably paid with your Pokemon cards so the sun came up, right? That's probably what you're thinking. Now, that happened many, many times at Oscar's house. However, what you don't know about me and my best friend is that we had another ridiculously junior high boy type obsession. Let me show you. Wrestling. (laughs) WWF Wrestling. That's The Rock. That guy's in movies now. He's awesome. Exactly, right? He's a lot bigger now doing the rock bottom, just, you know, crushing it. Anyway, we loved wrestling, and I mean loved it. And the late 90s, 2000s was like the heyday of wrestling, never greater before or after. And we watched the wrestling matches on TV. We played the video games, Wrestlemania 2000 and N64. And Pojar, you and I are soulmates, I'm telling you. Anyway, and most (laughs) importantly, most importantly, because we were junior high boys, you know what we would do? We would practice the wrestling moves on each other. Yeah. We, this is what we would do. We would take Oscar and his brother and his sister's mattresses off their beds, put them in the living room, and create a wrestling ring. And, guys, we would go to town, suplexes, pile drivers, power bombs, choke slams. What is that? Wrestling moves. All right? And they were awesome. Okay? So don't make fun of me. I mean, you name it. We would do this, and his mom would hate it. She was so mad. <laughs> like, Mom, go record it. That's what Oscar would say. She'd be so angry. Um, anyway, one of Oscar and I's favorite wrestlers, his name was Jeff Hardy, okay? Um, the Hardy brothers, the Hardy boys, Matt and Jeff Hardy. You guys know more than I thought. That is, we have a hip church, guys. All right, so um, Jeff Hardy. Now, <coughs> Jeff Hardy had this wrestling move called the Swanton Bomb. Yeah. Okay, One of the da- most dangerous moves in all of wrestling, really. As fake as it is, this was dangerous and it was scary. Uh, but the thing is, we could never try the Swanton Bomb on each other on a mattress in the living room because it looked like this. Next slide. See? Yeah. As you can see, as you can see, the Swanton Bomb required you to stand on top of the ring corner post. You see where the arrow's pointing? So you stand right on top there. And once you're standing there, you would jump off. You would do a a half flip in midair. So you don't go all the way around. It's just when your head is facing the ground, right? And as soon as that happens, you would slam on your opponent with your forehead. That's the guy laying down there. That poor soul that's about to get swanton bombed, right? That, and you're like, okay, wrestling, right? And this is is craziness, but this is junior high boy heaven right here. But we can never do this move on the mattresses because it's way too dangerous and someone would probably get really hurt. But I'm going to keep this picture up and keep this move in mind, all right? Next day happens, right? Next day happens, a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys start showing up for Oscars, Oscar's pool party Shane, Ryan, Michael, Andrew, Richard, Mario, Jason, a bunch of other guys. So when they got there, we went out back and we started swimming and we're having a blast. But then, you know who else showed up? Ashley showed up, and Crystal, and Jenny and Michelle, and Emily, and Stacy, and Candace. So I'm looking at Oscar as these girls are walking in, and I'm like, Oscar, dude, you invited girls? He looks at me and says, yeah, man, they're my friends, but then he looks at me and says, oh, no. Don't do anything dumb, Joe. Don't try to show off to these girls. Please, man, don't, man. Just don't do it. Don't act dumb. They're humans just like you. Too late, Oscar. Too late. So I get out of the pool. I went to the edge of the backyard, and I started sprinting toward the pool as fast as I can. I was going to swanton bomb right into the pool with all the ladies watching. I was going to show off, and it was going to be glorious. So this all happened within literally three seconds. So track with me here. In just three seconds, I run, I jump, I flip halfway midair. My forehead breaks the water. And that is when Oscar screamed, Joe, that's the shallow end. And a split second later, my nose slammed on the pool floor and everything went red. And I don't mean anger. Long story short, I ended up spending the rest of the day in the ER with a broken nose and swollen, shut eyes. I know, right? It's why my nose is crooked and why I snore now. All right, so. All because. uh, I changed before I met Rachel, okay? Don't worry. All because I wanted to show off, all that happened. (laughs) I wanted to do this crazy jump to show off for all the girls. And it ended very, very badly. When Satan tempted Jesus to show off by also jumping, on the next slide in Matthew 4, 6, it wasn't to show off to the ladies, but it was to show off. In fact, it was again a temptation to get him to abandon his mission, Because what was Jesus' number one mission on earth? To save as many as possible, right? To create as many Christ followers as he could while his time on earth, right? Now, if Jesus in the most crowded part of town jumped off the temple and right before he hit the floor, angels appeared out of nowhere to rescue him, what's everyone who just witnessed this miracle doing? They're believing now. They just witnessed a miracle. But are they believing in God? Are they believing in his word? Are they believing in his unconditional love? No. They are placing their faith and planting their roots in a miracle. Just a miracle. Something that's temporary. Something that comes and goes. Something that causes you in a week or a month or a year to say, Hey, God, what have you done for me lately? Because I'm only believing when you perform miracles. Is that the foundation of a lasting faith? Is that that a faith that runs the race all the way to the end to receive that crown? No. So what does Jesus say to this temptation? Next slide. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. God gave Jesus a way out of temptation again a way to continue his mission as it was always planned. And again, that way out was through Scripture. This time, Deuteronomy 6.16. But is Satan done? Not quite yet. Next slide, Matthew 4.8. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Again, so much going on here. Let's start at the top. Satan says, all this I will give you. What does that mean? Well, if the temptation actually has merit, it means that Satan does in fact have authority over the world and its governments. Of course, ultimately, all things belong to God. But Satan does function as the God of this age, which is why this fallen world is in the mess it is. So... How does Jesus win the world back? How does Jesus remove the grip that Satan has on all of mankind and give them the chance to be with God forever in heaven? How does he do that? By dying on the cross. But Satan is saying here in this temptation, you hey, Jesus, it's just you and I up here, okay? Want to avoid the cross? Want to avoid torture? Much more importantly, Wanna avoid your father turning his back on you while you hang there with all the world's sin on your shoulders? Wanna give up this mission? Wanna leave this sad, fallen earth in your dust and go back to heaven right now next to your father's side? You want it? you want that? Then bow down and worship me. And I'll give you the world back on a silver platter. It's just you and I. Do it. Talk about heavy temptation. But also talk about abandoning your God-given mission. How does Jesus end this one and find his way out? Again, through scripture. Next slide. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13 Three times Jesus was tempted to abandon his mission. Three times his father gave him a way to endure and get out from under it through his word. And once Jesus successfully conquered those temptations so he can continue on his mission and running the race in a way to achieve a crown, check out what happens. Next slide. Then the devil left him and angels attended him. The saying goes, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's just not true. Because if we can handle anything that comes our way, then why do we need God at all? We need God because this world has fallen and this world is currently being run by an evil spiritual force that will use any temptation necessary to cause us to abandon the faith. But as serious as that threat is, there is an even greater promise that God is faithful and will simply not allow us to be tempted to abandon our faith beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, he will provide a way out so that we can endure it. And I know... Beyond any shadow of a doubt. That promise is true. Because God promising to give us what we need to avoid abandoning our faith. Means not abandoning our faith. And not abandoning our faith means that one day we will spend eternity with our Father in heaven. And I guarantee no one, past, present, or future, will ever have a greater desire to see anything else happen. God loves us so indescribably much and wants to spend eternity with us more than anything. So he will faithfully provide whatever it takes to make us running the race to the end a reality. But that didn't happen without Jesus sacrificially giving his life for ours. Because he told Satan no to the shortcut. And he did the hard thing. And he endured to the end And he died on the cross for our sins. And in just a few moments, we're going to have a chance to partake in communion to remind us of his sacrifice, his death on the cross for our sins, with the bread representing his body broken and the juice representing his blood shed. And after Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave so that we can worship a living, powerful God. Which is also why, in just a few moments, we're going to have a chance to celebrate his resurrection through praising him in song. So during the next two or three songs, as you feel led, please make your way to the tables in the back where you can partake in communion. You can go on your own with a family or a friend. You can partake at the table in a circle somewhere else, right at your seat, whatever, however you feel led. And if you need assistance by having communion brought to you, let us know. We'll make it happen. Maybe this morning you need prayer. You're going through one of these temptations life is hard life stinks nothing's going right we want to pray for you no speech no judgment no telling you what to do we just listen to you and then we pray for you and with you and so we're going to have a couple people up front during the next worship set please come up if you need prayer and finally when you head to the tables for prayer and for communion you can also bring your connect and Prayer cards. As well as your offerings and tithes and giving cards. And you can drop them off in the kiosks provided near those tables. But remember, if you're new with us or you've been here for a while and you haven't met us yet officially, hold on to that card and take it outside of the welcome table. Would you pray with me now as we bless this time of worship and communion? Father, we know you have no greater desire than to spend eternity with your most precious creation, which is why you have faithfully provided a way to endure and a way out of any temptation to abandon the faith. God, help us to believe in that promise, no matter how hard life gets. And Father, I pray that you bless this time of communion. You bless the bread representing your body. You bless the juice representing your blood. May we take it knowing what we're doing and may we believe in what you did and who you are and live like we believe in what you did and who you are. And we pray all these things in your faithful and powerful name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to check us out on social media at La Mirada Church and online at lamiradachurch.com.